This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. You ever wrap up with an episode of Hooniverse and then just go, damn it, I need more content. I need two guys talking about cars, saying ridiculous things and insightful things on occasion, but you know, at a rate of more insight to ridiculous than maybe Jeff and Chris produce. Well, you're in luck. There's Unnamed Automotive Podcast with hosts Sammy Hajasad and Benjamin Hunting. Sammy's from AutoGuide. Benjamin, he's a freelancer. He used to work with Jeff. They're buddies. That's all you need to know on that front. He's awesome. So these guys, they travel around. They do the journalist thing. They review cars. They check out old stuff. They tell you what's cool, what's weird. They throw out their opinion on just about everything. It's Unnamed Automotive Podcast. On the plus side, beyond all that other good stuff, Sammy sounds kind of like Eugene Merman, and if you know who that is, you'll appreciate this reference. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Either way, check out Unnamed Automotive Podcast. They're on iTunes, they're on Google, they're wherever the hell you want your podcasts, because they're Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Check them out. Uh, welcome back. It's SEMA 2018 at the Magnaflow booth. This is the Hooniverse Podcast, and uh, I have a wide array of uh, journalist-type people here <laughs> next to me. Uh, and I say type people because uh, it's a questionable at times for some of us. So, uh, which, which part is questionable, the, the journalism or the people? Uh, I'm careful. <laughs> so on that, that voice you just heard is Alana, and you're most uh, familiar with her from, uh, I'd say, Edmund stuff lately, on uh, probably most likely on uh, YouTube. Yeah, or, you know... Probably the audience here is, may, might remember me from such titles as Hot Rod Magazine. Yeah, little things like that. And, of course, we've got uh, Mr. Mike Musto right there from House yep. of Muscle. Uh, also of a bunch of stuff in the past. Yeah. Uh, some of it uh, we'll just leave off. There's a lot of muscle car stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> there. And we got Lynn over from uh, KBB. Hi. Hi. Which I just met Lynn just a little while ago. And it's nice to have you here. Pleasure. And then I've got an old friend that just stumbled into this and got lured on stage. Aaron. Aaron now from Haggerty. Yeah, Aaron Robinson, formerly of Car and Driver, 17 years with Car and Driver, now a year and a half with Haggerty Magazine. Still of Torrance? Still of Torrance, California. Oh, distinctions. Yes. Okay. So uh, it's been uh, it's been yet another SEMA. Uh, we've all been doing this way too many years, with the exception of Lynn. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't say that too fast. This is my first year here. Yeah. So from a scale of like zero to 10, how overwhelming has this been? Let's call it a 25. Okay. Um, so have you had your fill of road trucks and 69 Camaros yet or, um, you know, I actually, I sort of lean to the off-road space. Um, I've done some, uh, you know, a, a considerable, a considerable amount of off-roading. And so I actually enjoy seeing a lot of the, uh, a lot of the off-road stuff out in the South Hall. Um, but you know, there's so much, there is so much to see. And, and I think as a car person you kind of come into this and i've never seen anything like this before and i was like okay like i have a fair amount of knowledge and i'm consider myself an enthusiast and then you come in here and you're like oh my god like i don't know what that is like what are those like what does this do and there's so i mean there's just so much um that you know i i uh i don't think i've seen probably 30 percent of it 
You know what's fun, though, is when you come here with somebody that knows nothing about any of it, and you pretend like you know all of it and just feed them the most ridiculous things ever, and you just go out and go, well, that's a Merkin, and that's a Flagler, mm-hmm. you know, just fun stuff like that. It's honestly, it's been really educational. I mean, I've definitely have had friends to kind of walk around with and, and show me stuff and um, talk me off of the ledge when I was just started hyperventilating and going like, <gasps> I don't know what I'm supposed to look at. Like, where am I supposed to go now? Like, I... I feel like I've been there before, but I haven't, and I'm lost. And I mean, I got lost in my hotel lobby, so I don't. Know. It's been we a little overwhelming. We all do that. They all look exactly the same. So, yeah, well, but that's... it's it's honestly it's it is uh, it's vast, and I think it really just I, I think there's a part of it that's really interesting to me because it really just shows how large the automotive industry is, and not maybe the people who are making you know making the sausage directly, but every single person who is attached to it peripherally and that's awesome to me okay so you've seen a little bit of this now and we've all been here a million times before what do you think is the most gimmick prone section of the show Ooh, that's a good one gimmick prone is it well just in terms of like useless shit that looks like it's going to break in two seconds like garbage trends of 2018 yeah the garbage (laughs) yeah down that road yeah okay what do you think uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I, I don't know because I don't, I, this is my first time here. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass to those who've seen the gimmicks before. Okay, let me rephrase that for you specifically. Then. Yes. What is the most ridiculous thing that you were like, why would you do that? Why, what have you seen here that, that it just, I know what you should say that to switch. that. I know what you got really angry about. Ooh. What? I can't remember. It's all a blur. The Mercedes. Oh my God! The Gullwing. Did you wow, see yeah. that oh, in the Toyo? Oh, in yeah. the Toyo did you see that section. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I posted that that's on my Instagram really, account because I, I literally, it was hard. It, it was heartbreaking, Ooh. and I don't know if that's a real Gullwing or not, but it, it's a travesty. Yeah, who <laughs> thinks that's a real Gullwing? I don't know, but it just looks horrible. Seems like it'd be. Is there? Is there a there, market there for is, reproduction? Gullwings? There actually is a company that repops Gullwing. Okay. Okay. I so, hope. I hope and I pray that that is not an original Gullwing. Yeah, or if it yeah, is that they did it in a way that they didn't chop up the chassis at all. So I, uh, I'm i going to just devil's advocate over here because uh, after spending a year and a half at Roadkill, I no longer have that reaction to anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, like, no. I'm just like, oh, you're like, are you're you like having a, a good time? You're doctor. You just, no, it's it more like, are you having a good time? Are you enjoying cars? That's fine. Did you manage to buy a going or a going reproduction and do what you want to do with it? That's fine, too, because I didn't buy it. You know, like and when people get yeah. mad at me for something I do with my car or whatever, I'm like, it was for sale at some point. You could have bought it. You oh. could buy all the cards. You can do whatever you want with whatever you well, want. Only you get mad at you well, for see, things you're... you do to your cars. But I think, honestly, I mean, and to your point, Alana, because I know I know a lot of builders who will take parts of cars that have been abandoned or left for dead and we'll take them and we'll sort of repurpose them. Um, I have a, you know, a friend, a buddy who owns a shop here in Vegas, Sin City BMW, and they'll take bits and pieces from things and they'll turn it into something else. And people will be like, how could you have chopped off the top of a 911 and put it on a 2002 or whatever the hell they do. But it's like, well, you didn't know where it was before. So it's, you're right. A hundred percent. I don't know what the origin of that car was, but oh, like the purist in me just was like, nah, I don't like that. <laughs> Jay, Jay Leno says, if you save a car from the scrapper, then all bets are off. Well, like if it was going to go into fair. scrap, fair, then yeah. you can do whatever you want with it. I doubt if that's a real going. It was going to go yeah. into scrap, but you know, uh, 
basically you're if you save a car from the crusher then you you are its angel you get to is, know, it, is, there, is that the same rule? Does that apply to, like, foster children as well? Or is that just... Does it apply to what? Does no. that apply to foster children, too? Where it's Absolute, just like, no. so long as they're just not cast aside, you can do whatever? No. Yes, you can, <laughs> you can turn them into dictators. <laughs> but what happens if you do that with an already good car and you you totally modify it? Well... That, that's, that's one of the biggest... Like, I know... I mean, if it was a 300 SL, I mean, I, I would be heartbroken. But I suppose that if you did actually have a Gullwing... And you purchased it. You literally have fuck you money. So yeah, you do. Yeah, but that car yeah. wouldn't be sitting out there. You no, know, in the dusty tunnel. If it no, was that but kind of I mean, person. look at some of the cars here. You've got multiple million dollar bills at this show. Yeah, but those were cars that were saved from the scrapper, and then millions of dollars was dumped into them. I mean, I, I, I only say that because I don't think it was a real one, and only because the lines look slightly off. Right. Yeah. And there's a guy, I, a friend of mine, who's got one, a real one. I spent ten hours driving once. I have some oh, experience with the that's car. Humble awful. brag. <laughs> Terrible. Humble? Well, I need to establish my credential before well, you're I say it. So you're adjusting the that rates. I don't on believe lines. that we're watching sacrilege. We're just watching a dude build a cool car out of something that looks like as they're going. What percentage of the cars in that hall do you actually think are driven, as opposed to just being walked by? Zero point zero percent. Okay. Yeah, I, I, there's a number of cars in that hall that would probably be pretty miserable experiences to drive, so what, are, what are we going to go on esteem as a whole as percentage that actually run and are driven right because the, i remember the first year when i was a SEMA virgin i was astonished that i i, fi- I figured maybe eight to ten percent maybe were driven well there's a difference between run and are driven oh, well exactly yeah. what do you, how many do you think are driven the guy drove it around the block before he brought it to the show does that count as that you know are driven i i think that there's actually a larger ratio of cars that are driven than there used to be because I think it's a, a growing and wonderful trend in automotive um, hobbyism, which is that people are not as stoked to find out that something that looks really good doesn't, doesn't run. Work. And so, um, I mean, I can, I can name, I know, for example, I know all of the cars in the gear vendors booth not only do drive, but, you know, have done Hot Rod Drag Week or right. something similar, you know, right, like right, have right. really been driven. They're, Registered, you know. I know that white Talladega that Tom Bailey built absolutely drives and right. will get driven. Um, I know all the Jonathan Ward cars get driven oh, yeah. and drive very yeah. well, or even like the the Ring Brother cars. Yeah, the Ring Brothers. Yeah, they all run Ring Brothers all classic recreations. Yep. Um, all the Rad Rides uh, cars. Troy yeah. Troy Trepanier, uh ha- builds unbelievable like, cars that that drive like unbelievable. Like, so it only rounds to zero the yeah. number of cars. <laughs> and I think there's probably a distinction to be made of. The stuff outside is much more likely to actually be used on a regular basis. Like, the stuff that sits in front of Central Hall, I'd say probably 60% of that stuff used, yeah. is used regularly. Okay. And you can tell, because they're not show cars, but there's still some really cool stuff out there. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've hit the, kind of the overwhelming thing, and then you wanted to talk about some of the electric car stuff that you've been seeing around out here. Yeah, um, I always I always like to look at what I think the, the trends are, you know. And, I mean, there's, like, obvious trends, like, oh, a lot of people use this color, or... You know, everybody's using a, a Jeep Wrangler or something like that. But um, there were two things that I noticed. One was small, which is that there was a surprising amount of uh, old Volvos. And by surprising amount, I mean like three, maybe uh, four. Three. They but, should be, there should be more. If all yeah, are but good. I didn't expect to see any. Uh, but the thing that I think is probably uh, the tip of what we're going to see a lot more of is electric motor swaps into uh, either classic cars or into race cars. And I know that everybody else has also noticed that. And... 
Um, I think that's really interesting. I really want to build an electric drift car. That's, that's an electric one, what? Drift, drift car. car. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. No, you're not going to pop the motor. It's going to have all the torque right, down ever, low that you right. need. And it's all about tire noise anyway, so no one will miss the engine sound. Exactly. Yeah, but, I mean, have you ever gone to, like, Formula E? You've gone to a Formula E event? Yeah. It is the most depressing <laughs> speed event you will ever attend. It's like, it'd be like, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, we're going to build, you know, you know, you know, full-on electric dragsters and stuff. That will be the most depressing thing. Yeah, but for a had, drag car. You have to... You know, you have to say that going to a Formula One race is the second most depressing. Uh, yeah, so okay. it's not like, I mean, it's not like it's dramatically more depressing. Well, and there are multiple points of that depression races. happening at the Formula One race. And you're like, oh, wow, that guy's wealthier than the next 3,000 people around us. You want to have a nice nap on a Sunday. You know, you have a big lunch and then you watch the F1 race. Did yep. you just go to Austin by chance? <laughs> no, but I okay. don't have to. See, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> just pretend like you're wearing really good earplugs. Yeah. Well, that's what it feels like. That's the problem. Okay. Um, so given the fact that uh, you, you like all the electric conversions going, how would you feel if somebody took, like, a really nice Challenger or something and swapped that over to electric? Well, um, I'm not a hypocrite. I, I stand by what I said. If somebody had bought their own Challenger and wanted to put an electric motor in it, then that is fine because it is their Challenger. And now if you're asking me would I put an electric motor in my Challenger, no, because I do like the visceral experience of a loud engine. But... Um, Again, I just want people to be doing this. I want people to be in the hobby and whatever it is that makes them interested in it. And for a lot of people, it's going to be new technology and the electric motors are new technology. You actually own one car that would be a perfect candidate for it. We are not putting an electric motor in the Opal. Oh, oh that would be awesome. Oh. Yeah. We all, we you're all voted. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, I electric agree. Opal. I agree. I would never put one in my Datsun. Ever, ever, never. What do you have? 510 or? Oh, no, I have a, a 66 uh, 1500 Roadster. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I, I like the old Datsuns. Nothing wrong with those at no, all. No, no. Okay, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. on. The, I mean, the electric stuff is really cool. Like I said, I want to do a drift car, but the tricky thing is the electric is that with a factory electric car, you know, they do these kind of, quote-unquote, skateboard designs where they can get the battery pack on the floorboard. Mm -hmm. it, it's getting that density into an area of the car that's not going to completely throw off the weight balance. That's the really tricky yeah, thing. Yeah, but that if you look at the uh, icon, the batteries are not in the floor. They're under the hood. And, I, you know, what I think is interesting about the electric conversions, we're all talking about would you convert this car, would you convert that, well, that car. We at should this, back up because yeah, talk the, about the, the icon, icon is yeah. what it's a 1949 Mercury, right, yeah. with basically a Tesla. A well, Tesla train. 85 kilowatt and right. uh, battery in it. Yeah, so um, I, I was talking to the guy who was sort of the, their kind of shop manager, and I said, well, so it's Tesla, and he said, yeah, I mean, you know, we pulled some components out of it, the battery pack, and, the, you know, and I said, so, I, you know, because you, you can't really just pull one part of a modern car out of it, and yeah. as we all know, I mean, because they're all integrated electronically. Right. And so I said, well, basically, you had to pull the whole thing so that the powertrain thinks it's still in a Model S. It's just running in your car. And he was like, yeah. Well, then I talked to Jonathan Ward, and it turns out that's not the case. They took the batteries, but that was it. Mm -hmm. All of the electronics, all of the motors, everything else, they did either themselves or they went to uh, little shops that could do this stuff. The point is, is that we're talking about converting this car or that car to that. That industry doesn't exist yet. There, you, there's yeah. no place like here. You want to build, a, you know, a hot rod with a small right. block, or to, there's hundreds of companies here that sell the stuff that you need to solve whatever problem you mm -hmm. have building that car. 
you can go through this whole all 900,000 square feet of this hall, and you will not find companies that are selling plug-and-play electric vehicle conversions. That industry has not been born yet. But I think if you come back here in five years, it will be. I mean, when I talked to Jonathan Ward at Icon, who built that 49 Mercury, he figures in five years, 50% of his business is going to be electric conversions. Well, and he wants to do FJs, Broncos, everything. But, but he it, says the industry doesn't exist. So he built that that Mercury. He says, I've got crazy money into this car. It's hemorrhaging money. Yeah, and, sure but he is. says, it's a prototype. This is like, I'm figuring out how to do it because nobody else has figured out how to do it yet. And knowing and, John, that this surprises me 0%. Right, yeah, right. Well, yeah. anybody who knows Jonathan Ward knows yeah. this. But, but, I mean, there are kind of. You know, and we talked a little bit about some of the little shops out there that are doing electric conversions, but he says, do you want to go to Big Bear and then drive all the way down the hill with that thing regenerating with this kind of homemade electric battery packs and, and the electrics that they're using? Go all the way down that hill with that thing regenerating. I mean, your battery is going to catch on fire. And so that industry doesn't exist yet. And what's cool about this show, and I think what will be important about this show and his, historians right? the history of SEMA, is that that industry is being born in front of our eyes. I mean, well, that's how this show started. You know, you you said like, oh, you know, you can find a million places here to do a, a Chevy small block swap. But uh, you know, Mike, being another muscle car hot rod guy, would know this industry started because somebody was the first person to do a small right, block right. Chevy swap. Or like, I was walking around the show earlier with with Don the Snake Prudhomme, and he stopped. I think it was at the Edelbrock booth, and he's like, look at this. You get a supercharger and the heads and the like engine management all like together as a as a kit. And I was like, yeah, that would have been useful for you in like 1966, right? Yeah. And he's like, you know, you were you're just having to make everything for anything that you wanted to do. And now we've got this giant show that's nothing but that. And so I I agree with you, Aaron. I think it's it's absolutely how this show works. But the question is, did you see a lot of in, in, innovation at the show? Otherwise, I mean, I went through the whole new products. Thing upstairs which mm-hmm. is three rooms just cram full of new stuff you know and I, honestly i think the biggest innovation was jonathan ward said he's like did you see the place where the guy had made floor mats for cup holders he's like that was the biggest innovation <laughs> up there I'm like, I, I think in the new product <laughs> showcase the nine or ten years i've been coming here collectively i probably spent 30 minutes up there yeah well you know you figure that's the new stuff right that should be where the innovation is, is showing i mean there's there's trends and things that are happening on this floor that aren't you know like the paint colors and that sort of thing i don't think that's fair i think no? i mean i i mean i haven't been in the new product showcase um this year but there have been there's stuff that i mean all of the all of these modern engine swaps that now we're just taking for granted and i know that mike wants to talk about what we saw at dodge but all of the engine management stuff and all of the fuel injection for old car engines that like almost every car out here has now like right. i mean how many carburetors did you see even right. on the hot rods thankfully like, i mean none. i'm i'm not like I remember when that was like the first, I'd, the first one that I'd seen here, and it was like a real problem tuning them and stuff. And now it it's like nightmare. it's literally plug and play. Well, right, so, also, so, but but to that, I mean, to that point, like all you have to do is look at the size and the scope of this thing. This is not a small industry. It is a big, slow-moving glacier, and it doesn't surprise me that hey, like it starts with one, and then there's another one, and then maybe five years from now, then there are more, but. I think that's how it all starts, and I think people come here and their imagination is sparked, and they're like, "Oh, hey, you yeah, know." But if you look at this crowd, right? Everybody that's here is somewhat mechanically minded, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think that having a, a petrol-powered engine that brings so much to the table as far as the visceral experience of all the cars and the trucks and the bikes that we all love. So, I'm, I'm just play devil's advocate. It, 
Like, I would never want that because of that lack of visual, uh, visceral experience. Right. And the other part is most of... Hey, Mike, pull cars, that mic up just a little bit. Yeah. You know, most of the cars that we have, most of the hot rods and everything else, they're not daily drivers. For a daily driver, if you want an electric car, you want a Tesla or something like that, then great. Go I had a Bolt silence. four or five weeks ago. Right. I love that thing. And it was listen, perfect Los Angeles car. fantastic. But for my second or third car that's a hot rod that's supposed to get my rocks off every time I drive it, it better make some fucking noise. What, what if it's what if it's <laughs> right? just fast? I mean, the one yeah, well, we could say that electrics are fast. This and that, blah, blah, you know, in five years nobody will be talking about. It. The one thing that has always been true is that people want to go fast. Electrics are fast. Yeah, yeah electrics are fast. But here's the deal. So I've driven every Tesla out there, but I also own a Demon, right? Right. And so most Teslas from a dig, they're they're quick. I'll run dead even with them. Except it's it's kind of like driving a you know just a a go-kart it's a very fast go-kart with a demon you're like okay it's it's a visceral experience there's the noise there's the bravado of it and that's what i want from any what if you can go to the itunes store and get a demon soundtrack for your car this is only a matter of time it's already we already have automotive soundtracks running through stereo systems in factory cars but it's that visceral out i mean at what point are they just going to tune all of it out and when are they going to bring it in where everything is artificial? I like the smell of gasoline. I like this. Sm- I, you know, you're going to get your I gasoline like- air freshener. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get your oil. Yeah, right. Mask, exactly. You know? It's like the guy in the matrix eating the steak. And he says, you know, I know it's fake. I know I, this is all simulated. I'm not right. really dead, but I don't care. And I, I think that's where we're going. I do care. And that's, that, I think that's <laughs> your old the issues. Is I really stuff coming do along like the Tycon. Or Tycan or whatever, whatever you want to call, call it. it. I, I'm going Tycon because it sounds more portrait of me. Right. But, uh, that thing, I think that's going to solve a lot of that problem where you have where it's just kind of numb and boring. You know, if anybody's going to so- crack that, they've got a pretty damn good chance. Well, I, I mean, eh. for me, it, I, again, personally, I'm on, on my Mike's page. I'm not that interested in a car that isn't loud. I do drive a hot rod every day, mm-hmm. and um, it's totally possible. And I think a lot of people out here uh, also do that. But, you know, like we've been talking about the, the icon, but also... Chevrolet has an electric car. They have this E-Copo, so it's right. an electric drag car, and it's a concept right now. Um, but what I think that it is is just more options. Again, like more ways to be a part of this. So uh, there's plenty of stuff out here for those of us who like a very large rumble. Uh, for example, what did Dodge show us last night? That is very much not an electric car. No. A marketing gimmick? Well, oh. you know, here's the thing. This is, so you are so, so Come jaded. on, you've known me for how many years? Of course. <laughs> Have you ever loved anything, Chris? <laughs> That's a good Do question. you hate America? <laughs> here's Trick question. I, I love the fact that you've got, you've got so many companies that are trying to be efficient, that are trying to do like, you know, oh, we've got all this stuff that, you know, it, you'll get better mileage. It's more reliable. Dodge comes in, they're like, here's a thousand horsepower crate motor that makes 950 pound feet of torque. Fuck everybody. Boom. They just do a mic drop and they walk away. And I love the fact that there are still companies that are doing it because that speaks to the enthusiast like me. Mm -hmm. If somebody came back and be like, well, here's an electric motor that makes, you know, 3,000 horsepower and, you know, 5,000 newton meters of torque. That's great. But I I don't want it because that visceral part of it is completely absent from the experience that I want as an enthusiast where something like that, a thousand horsepower, gas powered, supercharged crate motor. Fuck yeah! Don't get me wrong. I, I see the appeal of the motor. It's just one of those ones where, um, it, it being the Mopar setup, they've been notorious for locking down their ECUs and making it very difficult to work with that stuff. Sometimes, and you guys would know better than I would. 
has that been resolved on the Mopar side? Yeah, they've mellowed out on that. They, a little bit. They, I think they finally got tired of seeing everybody LS swap uh, challengers. Well, I mean, but, um, Geo's I mean, just owned that market for the better part of 20 yeah. years now. And Well, and here's the thing. Mopar has always been the redheaded stepchild of the hot rod world, right? Yeah. So, And nobody is going to dispute that that GM does own that market, right? They own the, the crate engine market. They own the, the transmission market. They own the controller and the full package plug-and-play. Well, the biggest thing is is you can use a stock ECU and program it with HP tuners and Correct. do whatever you need to with it. Right. And the tuning software, I think, is really the key of it, is that you couldn't touch the Ford motors and you couldn't touch the Mopar motors. Right. It's not that they were any better or any worse. As a matter of fact, I think the Hemi is, you know, very, very similar in a lot of ways to the current LT motors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just... The tuning options were the, were the problem. That well, a lot it. of it's also nostalgia-based, too, right? Yeah. So if you look, listen, an LS motor makes sense. It, I don't care what anybody says. It's in every application. It's small. It makes gobs and gobs of horsepower and torque. They fit literally in. And you put one in the Opal with no problem. And the <laughs> thing would Stop be, trying to engine swap. I'm not. I don't want you to engine swap the Opal. I'm just saying it fits in everything, right? But there's also that factor whereby when you pop a hood and you see these massive valve covers on a Hemi or something like that, that makes, like, my naughty bits tingle. I look at that, and I'm like, this is what I wanted. This is all right. Like, this is cool to me. And, you know, it's that, I mean, and it's, listen, it's a total macho bullshit thing yeah. that makes your ego climb. And But it's a lot of fun. And I love the fact that they're doing it. Um, how easy will it be? Uh, it won't be. We know this from, as a Mopar guy and doing this for the last 20 years, I, I know this. Um but I still want it, right? I'd still pay more money for it because that's what I want, and that's what it does, and it makes me feel good. Is that, so. the, is that the engine equivalent of a bro truck? Oh, I hate you, Lynn. <laughs> just, no, just no. asking. No, oh, wow. no, no. I'm, you know, I'm. Oh, I don't like that comment. <laughs> it was a question. I know, comment. and you know what? They'll end Maybe. up in bro trucks. Maybe they'll end up in a bro. They truck. will. Sure. Do, yeah. do bro trucks? Do engine swaps, though? I thought bro trucks, like, ge- generally did, like, a lot of dress-up and not... A neon. And not, like, any actual power well, and, like, Red Bull injection. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's is a bro to... truck different from a bro dozer? Uh, no, same thing. All right. Same is it? Thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same thing. I mean, bro dozers have taken over this show. Why? Well, yeah, they're awful. Why? Yeah, because cars are vanishing. But why would... I don't I don't understand the appeal of that market People love in trucks. any way. But why that? Like, is it a concept to make it how gaudy and awful-looking can you make it? Well, people like they're terrible. Like things with they high are, centers of gravity bad. that get absolutely abysmal fuel economy and all the aluminum bits that they can fathom just tacked onto it. I mean, it's that's what they want. Awful. And I really think it's not about going fast anymore. No. I think it's about, you know, overall capability and toughness. It was, you know, this show has been a speed show for a long time. Right. And I think, to a certain extent, I mean, obviously you need high horsepower for these things, of course. Right. But... It's not about outright speed. It's just about general badassness. You know. Well, and a lot of it's, frankly, that people wrap their personality up in their cars. Well, yes, that's, this entire show is it's dedicated all, yeah, to that. I mean, yeah. It's uh, I This mean, whole multi-billion dollar industry is dedicated to showing off. Egos. <laughs> yeah. Ego, right? It is. It is, admittedly. But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. But back to the, the, the elephant, it's just. Is that motor really markedly different than the existing Hellcat motor, or did they just pop the boost a little bit? No, it is totally different. It's uh, it's an aluminum block, so that's already different because the Hellcat is an iron block. I didn't realize it was an iron block. Yeah, that's why it's so heavy. And um, it has, uh, it does run the um, 
red eye heads. Okay. Like the heads are the same, but uh, all the internals are different. Um, the whole rotating assembly, the size is different because obviously it's bored out. So uh, the 426 cubic inches instead of whatever it is. I mean, the thing about that motor is that's a motor you you actually build the car around the engine. You don't you don't have the car and then put it in, because what you're going to have to do is, you know, like I couldn't put that motor in one of my cars out of the gate because that, it would twist it in half. <laughs> yeah, it would just twist it in half. Yeah. So what are you doing? Well, now you're re-engineering the suspension, you're re-engineering the drivetrain, you're re-engineering every single part of the car so it doesn't destroy it. Well, in the the car that they showed, the the wide body Challenger right. that they showed um, as a demo car, uh, I believe was a stick, and I can only imagine no, what that clutch feels like because um, I know that the clutch in the Hellcat manuals is the uh, oh, is it solid, and they don't even offer the red eye or the demon no. with a stick because they were like, yeah, we don't have a clutch. Well, it's gonna be like doing this. leg presses all after. Well, and here's the thing, on a th- I don't want a manual with a thousand horsepower. You masochist. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that shit. Well, no, all it takes is to accidentally sidestep the clutch once, and then you're just done. Yeah, like the if they the, and this is I hate to say it's where they fall short. Where what like give us the package, give me that eight speed, give me the ECU, give me a full drop and plug and play. That that works for me. I don't want a thousand horsepower behind a manual transmission. Yeah, I, I concur. Uh, although a dual clutch, you could sell me on that. Yeah, I mean, you can you can put like I, I could see it behind a valve body transmission. Like that would work for me, right? If, if you put the engine behind the transmission, Mike, that's wrong. You, you don't shut that's up, Alana. <laughs> <laughs> now we know what's wrong with all of his cars. Oh, oh. <laughs> it only took one podcast. Great. <laughs> That's all it took. American Bugatti Veyron. Yeah. Well, we kind of already have those. They're just not built anywhere near as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so, Lynn, you, you judged the Hot Wheels competition earlier. What the hell was all that? Yeah, so uh, it's funny. Like, you all just talking about the personality in, in cars. And this, I mean, to me, this contest was really all about that. And um, I I went to, uh, to go judge... Um, to go judge this Hot Wheels, the Legends of Hot Wheels contest. It's their 50th anniversary this year. And I honestly had no idea what to expect. I thought they were just going to send me out loose and be like, pick your top three builds in the in the uh, the show. But they had 15 finalists, um, regional finalists from all over uh, the United States who had brought their builds. Um, and they were judged on, on typical Hot Wheels criteria. Um, was it a, an original build? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it something that... that the person did themselves, so none of it was basically. How fast like, you can send it down the ramp at your stairs? Oh my god! If they had yeah. that, that would have been so amazing. Um, but also, like, how how quintessentially Hot Wheels is it? So yeah. when you first take a look at it, does it look like a, something that a kid would want to play yeah. with? And every single one of them was absolutely incredible. It was a really diverse, a really really diverse field of finalists. Um, there were, you know, there were. Excuse me. There were there was a geo tracker out there that I just thought was so special and and fun, and um, there was a Crosley that was that was turned into a drag car, which I thought was said, incredible. The, the geo tracker's engine was twice the size of the car. Of course, it was. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, it was about six feet tall. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty outlandish. Out of this tiny car. Pretty out there. <laughs> um, but the stories behind these builds, I thought, were like some of the best parts of it. There were grandfathers building like. One of this guy, one of these guys, built this car with his grandson based on a sketch that his grandson had made, and he made him pay for the whole thing off of his twenty-five dollar a week allowance. It took them six years to make this car, and I, I thought, oh man, like not only is this kid learning about how to build a car, but he's also learning about 
how to work for something that you really that you love and that you want. And there was another car that that this guy had grown up like making custom Hot Wheels. He entered a contest. He built this truck, and he was like, "Oh, I wonder what that would look like as a real size car." And he had never never built a car before, and he built this custom Hot Wheels into a life size Hot Wheels car. And he, you know, he was one of the finalists as well. But I just I loved the innovation of it. I loved the um, the imagination and the whimsy of all of these of all of these cars. It was definitely the highlight of my SEMA experience here. What do they? What does the winner get? The winner gets their car turned into a Hot, Hot Wheels. Wheels. It was so awesome. And the guy who won, uh, he his car was super unique. It was like based on a on a fighter jet, um, like on an old World War II fighter jet, and it was just. It was so it was so unique and it was so innovative and it was super special and it was just a really really fun experience and definitely like you saw these things and you were like God I have to judge these like based on a little kid walking into a yeah. you know walking into a grocery store and like picking out something that they want to play with and it was awesome to put yourself back into that mindset it was awesome what what were each of your guys's first Hot Wheels that you remember like do you remember what your first one was I think oh, mine wow. was Kit. From uh, Night Rider. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't remember what the first one we had was, but I know that there we had like one of those um, like wood paneled wagons. Okay. It's like I guess informed a lot of my decisions since then, <laughs> but I loved. I definitely loved that car. I, I had a a little old school um, European Ford Escort, or a Ford. I guess it would be. Aaron, you know what this is? Like Ford Escort over in Europe. A yeah, there's one here at the show. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so the that's a little matchbox car, one of those. Those are a great cars to import now. The yeah. French have them in left-hand drive. Yeah. Well, I was nerdy. I, I didn't collect Hot Wheels as much as I collected those little Tomy pocket cars because they were more like real cars. Okay. So Aaron think... has every Hot Wheels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know how much? That surprises me none. Whatsoever. Well, given, your current, given your current taste. Well, Hot Wheels were like, they they were too far out there. I liked exact models. That's Aaron once exact edited replicas. one of my stories with extreme anger because apparently I think I said scale model and he was like, "You're talking about Hot Wheels. Those aren't scale models." But um, <laughs> my my Ouch. first Hot Wheel. Was, I'll accept diecast. My first Hot Wheel was a uh, a 1968 Impala that oh, I found good. in the sandbox that was missing the front axle. Um, but I was really excited about it because my mom drove a 1968 Impala and it was sort of. I mean, I was very young, and um, it was sort of the first time that it occurred to me that a, a car was a, a big toy. Yeah. I found a Prudhomme Dragster, a snake, in, oh. in, in, in the sandbox at my elementary school, third grade. Yeah. Did you give know. that Impala to Tom for him to fix the front axle? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what happened to the Impala. <laughs> well, it. It, it was going to get the front axle fixed, but then he got 13 dump trucks right next to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Never mind. Well, here's the thing. What I find always amazing is, like, if you look at everybody who's sitting here, everybody has such eclectic taste in what they have, right? And all of us have old stuff, right? None of us drive a new – I don't think we do. I, I do. Well, you do, yeah, but you have to for work, so I get that. Yeah. I, 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 drive a, I drive a Jetta Sport Wagon daily. Okay. But you also have your old Datsun. Yes. Right? I have an electric car. What do you have? Mitsubishi Aimeev. That's how dorky oh, I am. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's like okay. the last also, one I would have mentioned. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Not pink. It's, it's, it's aubergine. It's purple. Aubergine. Okay. Mauve. It's the eggplant. Mauve. I'm waiting. For, I'm going to have the Jonathan Ward treatment done to it. He's going to put a small black Chevy in it. <laughs> well, I, or maybe you should just put a, you know, a Honda uh, Corolla 
or Toyota um, Corolla uh, on it. Just no, one of those things. I think that was, that would twist it in half. That, is Mitsubishi that would be like too, much, the, too much power yeah, for the Honda engine? Of. engine in his <laughs> well, like car. the old one, though. Like the one that's out in the in the show field in the back. Oh, yeah. There is an electric Honda Civic here. Yeah. Well, I'm so let me telling ask you, this. this is a coming thing. You get excited about fuel injection after 60 years after the car industry introduced fuel injection. I, I, I believe this show has stagnated from an innovation standpoint. It, it, there's no yeah. question I think it has as well. But, again, I think it comes back to the excitement. Like, would you ever electrify your Espada? My what? Your Lamborghini. Oh, yes, I would in a minute. Would you really? Well, I spent all weekend driving, and I have to say that if I drove it more, I would have lung cancer. So... Absolutely. That car is an environmental disaster. All our cars are environmental disasters. But the, but the problem it's is fine. the environment that it ruins first is the interior of the car. <laughs> well, so or, your, or your lungs, the right. interior of so your body. My, so, I, you know, it doesn't even have um, crankcase ventilation. It's got a road draft pipe, you know, which is one of the things that makes it very stinky. But also, I mean, the reason it stinks so bad, all, of course, all old cars stink, but uh, old Lamborghinis especially stink because you have an, a V12 that was set up to run at 7,500 RPM. Right. So they set the cams to run at 7,500 RPM, So which means that idle or low power settings, which is where you spend most of your time, right. there's so much overlap in the cams that it's just pushing hydrocarbons right out the tailpipe. Right. So, I mean, they are just chokers. And um, if I could electrify the, electrify the car instantly. Would you really? And now, you I, but I, then I would have the world's nicest coffee table. Okay, so but don't you think that would like detract from the experience of the car? No, not at all. No, I'm I don't know that I believe. That. I don't believe that at all. Yeah, I don't know. I heard you brag about let, what really it sounds like. Let us say, let us say that this is not a Miura, so it does not sound like a Miura. It's an Espada, has extremely long exhaust pipes. It's actually pretty quiet. Everybody who's like, start it up, let's hear it. They're expecting to hear this like wild whoop of an Italian. Ex- it's like hmm. they're going to be really disappointed when you have an EV in there. Yeah, are we I, allowed to say fuck? They can go fuck themselves. I don't care. Like <laughs> it's know, my car, not. right? I, I, I was just like, is. you can do whatever Absolutely. you want. You can do whatever you, you want. Can. And, and by the way, it's, it's all undoable. I mean, you know, I'm not going to throw the engine away. We just go sit at well, yeah, the I mean, you build table. It, you, people would say you have the coolest coffee table ever. Yeah, you they build would. a cradle that just adapts an electric drivetrain in there. Don't chop up the body, and you can always go back. Yeah. So. Yeah, who cares? Okay. Yeah. That, fair enough, man. And there's actually even, there. you know, back to the point of you were saying that it's a very nascent industry, that electric conversion thing is like, there are a few shops that are out there. It's funny, like the S10 and the Ranger thing, they've actually got that pretty well figured out. There are a number of companies that make conversion kits for those that are surprisingly good. But then right. you've got companies like down in uh, San Diego, EV West, which is doing things with uh, like 3 Series conversions and stuff like that for E36 and E46 chassis. So there is a little bit of it going on. But, yeah, we're absolutely at the beginning. And uh, I think it was last year. I was sitting down with Tim from BBI Autosport, and we were sitting here, and, we, you know, I just had the thought as we were in the middle of the podcast, I go, you know, in 10 years, probably 70% of these companies won't exist or they'll be folded into another one because as the consumer stuff keeps going more and more electric, a lot of this stuff's just going to fall well, by the I think it's going to make more than take more than 10 years. There's 260 million vehicles out there in the U.S. which are, by and large, in a number of electrics rounds to zero. So, yeah. I mean... The legacy fleet's going to be around a long time. But for I mean, most of those cars, are people are people using these kinds of products? For, I mean, on their Honda Accord or their or their Camry. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you just said a lot of these products are going to be gone because there are, are however many cars you just said on the road. Two hundred sixty million, more or less. Okay, but a lot of those are like high volume, high high volume yeah. cars that Rav fours, Rav fours, or like the Honda HRV that. I can't imagine anybody in, is going to 
do much bad. with. It's like the right. like the Geo Tracker. Like, oh, okay, maybe. Hey, Geo Tracker is a hot, hot modded. Oh no! Hey, listen, I, it was one of my top picks for that contest yesterday. I'm just saying, <laughs> I think most of those cars that are on the road are not. They're never going to be modded. They're not going to be modded at all. No. Sometimes they get different interiors. Sometimes stickers. They do. Stickers, definitely. Little seat pedal co- dress up seat covers. Yeah. One thing that I've gotten really spoiled with with new cars over the last few years is it's just like I refuse to drive anything that has shitty headlights anymore or has a <laughs> shitty has a shitty infotainment stack. And just by that I mean yeah. it doesn't need to be any fancy anything fancy. Just allow me to do to CarPlay or Android Auto and don't do anything else crazy with it. Just give me those options and give me something that can fold out or hide away for older applications so that you can have those amenities in a newer car but not have to suffer with, you know, just the shittiness of... See, dude, if a car has power windows and a cassette, I feel like it's modern. Yeah, right. <laughs> dude, do you walk away you know, in disgust? That, yeah, <laughs> well, what about that, the headlight thing? I mean, that's kind of a universal of, like, good headlights are a big deal. I, I do. I agree. I'm not disputing that. Yeah. I'm just so used to driving stuff with subpar everything mm-hmm. that... Well, it's you also know, like... I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm if just, you do improve your headlights on an old car, you also need to improve your brakes and your suspension because you will drive to the edge of your headlights. That is how people drive. Oh, yeah. That's correct. And if you can see a lot further, you're going to drive a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's interesting for me to jump back and forth between, you know, like my daily, like the, like the, well, the Opal's not particularly dangerous, but the, the Polara is, uh, you know, got a fair amount of power and a fair amount of weight. And to get in that, if I've been in a new car right. all week um, and take the freeway off ramp in the exact same way is like, oh, right. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, it's a mistake. This is I what mean, body roll feels like. I mean, old cars definitely have their place. They're fun. They're enjoyable. I, You know, I, I say I love electric cars, and I do. But I have an electric car. I have a V12. I have a straight eight. I have a side valve four, a V6, inline four, overhead cam. I mean, I've got quite a high percentage of the number of engine configuration. We actually have a five-cylinder diesel in Europe. I mean, we got a lot of weird Stuff. engine configuration. So, you know, what, I, mean, what do you I have love the, diesel? the the Bongo van we have Oh, right. I forgot to Europe. Is the straight eight in a Buick? Or? Yeah. So oh, it is. Okay. 48 special sedanet. Um, so, I mean, I've got, a, I mean, I love preserving old technology, you know, and, and Anybody who's ever driven a straight eight car, you know, he's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of silly, but it's also it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's an amazing really unique experience. exhaust sound, yeah. and it's yeah. It's, but anyway, is that the nail head? That no, 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 that was later. This is the okay. uh, the 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 Dyna Flash. Okay. Eight, the um, the nail head, the V eight oil cushion valve okay. and head. So for you, is it more about the preservation? Yeah, it's it all is. about preserving weird old and technology. Actually, that's my favorite okay. thing about Leno's place is it's not the cars. It's all the old. It's all the old steam engines and stuff right. like that that he has kicking around, or even just the the big old flywheel engines for powering whatever farm equipment. That stuff's just cool to see. Um, but you know, at the same time, I, I'm I'm so new stuff is always going to perform better. And I, you guys have more of an affinity for the older stuff than I do. Like I always want to get into the stuff that's like, what have we done now? Oh yeah, this GT3 RS is a lot better than that 987 was, even though the 987 was awesome. It's just like that progress and that march forward always just tempts me so much more than the nostalgia. That's fine. More old crap for me. Hey. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's not that the new stuff isn't amazing. It, it all absolutely is. And I don't know why some of us gravitate towards old stuff or new. It's just, I, 
I, you know, my inclination is I'm not going to build an old car. I'm going to try and get it to feel as modern as I can. Chris, are you nostalgic in any other way? Like, or do you, you know, like, do you like, like, old movies or do you have old an iPhone 2 or... or anything like that? <laughs> well, I have a first-gen iPod that I keep around just for, you know, just for to feel good every now and then. That's all. Uh, but no, actually, no. I, yeah, I, think I, of I feel it. like that's maybe part of yeah, it. Because I, I feel like cool. there's, you know, and there's a million different ways of being nostalgic, and you don't necessarily have to be nostalgic across the board. But I do feel that um, there's a certain element of an interest in the past versus an interest in the future yeah. that, that relates to what and why you like it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's, uh, I get it and I respect it and I really, I do enjoy it. It's just not what I'm driven to own. That's, right. That's really what it comes down to. Whereas, but I look at like an Icon car again and like I can get in that and I can go, oh yeah, this is, I mean, everything John built is amazing. Yeah. But uh, like that, that's an old car that I could totally be like, oh yeah, I'll take that. But would you ever want to drive something like that as a daily? Yeah, I would. You would? Oh okay. yeah. Absolutely. The okay. derelicts especially. But those things would be super easy daily. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, they're, they've, yeah they're, they've got freaking backup cameras. There are a couple second-gen Broncos here that I would happily yeah. drive out of out of this place. Yeah. Well, dr- I mean, yeah, okay. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, you know me. I'll drive anything. I know. I, yeah, I know. It's just... Uh, <laughs> Test me. I, no, I know. Well, that's the whole thing. Is, as I mean, you drive old stuff daily. I drive old stuff daily. Right? So, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, the new cars, I think they are fantastic. Um, I think we're in the very kind of small minority of people um, that want to risk their lives on a daily basis in old junk, you know. But so, completely different thing altogether. But uh, and I saw your video on it recently. What is your take on Ford completely destroying their ST and their RS lineup and their credibility in that field? Mm. I, I mean, <laughs> I think you can always come back from something like that there's always next year well there is but it'll be probably however long until it takes to figure out oh we should have hatchbacks again they're not coming back the family has said nine dollar a share does not work for us yeah you, you you need to pump that up and the only thing that gets wall street excited right now is autonomy and electric vehicles yeah you well know, no G- that's G- not true gm had huge earnings the other day based largely upon their truck volume well i know but the but but the, the gm stock price went over forty dollars when they announced the big electric vehicle push and okay. the uh, and the buy-in with um, with Way- or the partnership with Waymo or um, whoever their autonomous partners. Anyway, that's what gets Wall Street excited. And so Ford doesn't want to talk about cars. I don't want to talk about high performance because that does not move the share price. And and Hackett's number one job is to move share price. Yeah, which bothers right. me. I, I saw that all falling apart when he took over, and he started talking about, well, we don't care about globalization. We don't care about this. We don't care about that. I go, well, now Ford's going to suck again. <sighs> so, um, But uh, on that note, we've been going for a while, and i got to prep for another show. They always, uh, always. They're not going to be as good as Bigger, bigger no. name online, too. No, they're not. <laughs> right. so, exactly. The president's calling. President of what? Okay, right. I'm going to go down the line, starting with Aaron. Where can we find you? What are you working on right now? Well, I work for Haggard Magazine. We're working on uh, a lot of old cars. We just we've got a story up. We got a couple of cool stories coming up. We've got uh, two Chargers, a uh, Charger made in the United States and a Charger made in Australia Ooh. that we are comparing. We have a '72 Charger uh, VH Valiant Charger, actually it was called from Australia, and we have a '69 uh, Charger uh, 440 um, that uh, we did a little comparison test. We also put together a Mustang II and a Ford Capri. So the theme is two cars that come out of the same company, but that are completely different. 
So that Australian Charger is kind of European size. It's got an inline six with triple Webers. It sounds like a Maserati when you get on it. And then, and then you have the 440 Charger. And the styling definitely looks in the same family, but they're kind of through the looking glass. So then we have the, the Mustang two, and it's a Cobra. Uh, with Don't gre- give away the story. Rare, you, got, you want them to read it. He's telling rare, the whole story I'm just, now. Not, I'm just, rare green stripes. And then we got a Capri. We found the same owner had a Ford Capri in just beautiful shape. And so we, we put those two cars together. So we're, we've been having fun doing that. Cool. Lynn? Uh, you can find me at uh, kbb.com. You can find me actually probably more easily at our, uh, our YouTube channel. Um, most of what I do is video reviews. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram um, at lyn2 underscores Woodward. Um, that's just my own personal page, but a lot of the stuff that I review um, goes up there, as well as some of the extracurricular things that I do, like coming to SEMA or um, some of my off-road uh, pursuits. So, yeah. Okay. Mike? Um, honestly, the easiest place is the House of Muscle. Um, you know, you go to youtube.com backslash the House of Muscle. Um, doing all sorts of road videos with private owners and their cars. We just did one with Killer Mike from Run the Jewels. That was a lot of fun with his literally brand new 1700 miles 1996 Impala. Little does he know that he's been the test music for us setting everything up the whole week. He's been the best. He's he's amazing. Um, And if he's around, please come join the panel. Absolutely. Um, House of Muscle's got a whole new line of apparel that's coming out within the next couple of weeks. And um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to ask you about that. That's all right. Where do I get a shirt? Thehouseofmuscle.com. Okay. And, um, yeah, just filming more cars and private owners. That's it. If you got a car, email me and go from there. Fingers crossed, hopefully new projects. Yes. So, Lana? Uh, if you care what I think about new cars, um, that's on the Edmonds we YouTube do. channel. Um, and uh, for if you want old car stuff, I'm still writing for Hot Rod. I wrote the most recent issue of RPM Magazine. I have a column in American Car Collector. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at challenge her and every once in a while Aaron lets me write for Haggerty so I I double down on suggesting you check you know that what? magazine out. I'll throw that in too because I've been doing a fair bit of writing for Haggerty as well. <laughs> okay, I have too, but that was before. <laughs> Pretty soon we will employ all of you. You will all be our slaves. <laughs> Ooh, and one last thing, yeah? I am working on a book project. Yes, Ooh. you are. You told me about yes. it the other day. So I'm working on a book project with Don Prudhomme. We're gonna write a biography. So yeah. that'll be very. Cool. If you have a story about him, tell me. Uh, and I write for nobody anytime ever. Uh, I, I get on a microphone on occasion and then I produce a lot of shows and I run shoutengine.com. So if you want to do a podcast, head over there. And, uh, this week I'm also promoting Magnaflow because they've graciously given us their booth space again with the stage and the little private podcast studio back there. And we somehow grew the thing a little bigger again this year. When will they learn? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. They'll catch up to it sometime, I'm guessing. Uh, maybe when we've got the broadcast cameras out front, then they'll just cut it off. Uh, but at that rate, I think uh, we'll wrap it for this episode of Hooniverse. Thank you, everybody, for coming up. And Aaron, for getting being good sport and getting dragged on stage. He's literally getting minute. dragged on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I'm used uh, to getting dragged places. It was uh, good seeing you all, especially all at the same time. All right. Thanks, yeah, guys. Man. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.